Help defend the church by becoming a supporter of Family Life International. Your contributions enable us to continue our work to promote the faith, defend the family and promote the sanctity of life. Make a real difference today. Go to www.familyandlife.org.uk slash donate. Dominus Hobbiscum. Sequentia Sancti Evangelii Secundum Lucam. There was a lawyer who, to disconcert Jesus, stood up and said to him, Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What do you read there? He replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You have answered right, said Jesus. Do this, and life is yours. But the man was anxious to justify himself, and he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was once on his way down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of brigands. They took all he had, beat him, and then made off, leaving him half dead. Now a priest happened to be traveling down the same road. But when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, who came to the place, saw him and passed by on the other side. But the Samaritan traveler who came upon him was moved with compassion when he saw him. He went up and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. He then lifted him onto his mount, carried him to the inn, and looked after him. Next day he took out two denarii and handed them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and on my way back I will make good any extra expense you have. Which of these three, do you think, proved himself a neighbor to the man who fell into the brigand's hands? The one who took pity on him, he replied. Jesus said to him, Go, and do the same yourself. Verbum Domini We're all, I'm sure, familiar with the story of the Good Samaritan, and I'm sure we could repeat it without a, a, a moment's reflection. 
because it's a story that immediately catches our imagination. But everything our blessed Lord says has many meanings. It can be interpreted in many different ways. And in each interpretation, if done with the mind of the church, we will discover rich fruits for our own way of living. The other thing we find is that our Lord answers if he's asked a question on, other, on many occasions, he never answers the question in the same way. Because the other occasion, when he's asked, Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said, keep the commandments. In that case, it was a rich young man who came to him. Good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the Lord's response, keep the commandments. To which the rich young man responded, which one? And the Lord said, began with certainly a very important one, the most important one, as far as neighbor is concerned, because he said, thou shall not kill. And once we have killed a person, we have literally taken away all their rights. We can no longer honor them, we can no longer steal from them, we can no longer abuse them, and so on. So the Lord begins with the fundamental commandment in regard to neighbor, thou shall not kill. And then he goes on to speak about the source of life, namely that we shall not commit adultery and to honor parents. So, in this case, he said to the lawyer, what do you read in the law? What? And the response is to love God above all things and to love one's neighbor as oneself. So, is there contradiction? No, there is not. Because, in the case of the rich young man, keep the commandments, and then the Lord would say, if you love me, you will keep the commandments, giving us this as the only proof, evidence, that we do indeed love him. Whereas in the case of the lawyer, the, he directs it to the first tablet, namely that we should love God above all things and our neighbor as ourself. Now, why do we need to love our neighbor? The answer is simple enough, because each and every one of us, our neighbor included, is made in the image and likeness of God. Now, we cannot claim to love God and at the same time hate his image. The two go together. If we love the, 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 the person, we love their picture. And the second thing is, the love that is spoken of is not a matter of sentiment or of feeling but it's a deliberate act of the will in that we choose to do good to someone even though we do not like them. Nowhere in the scriptures are we commanded to like anybody, but throughout the scriptures we're commanded to love the person. The liking is a matter of sentiment, of feeling, and over this we have little control. 
we just like some people and we just dislike others. There's nothing deliberate about it. It's simply the chemistry either works or it doesn't work. Whereas love belongs to the soul. It belongs to our will. It's a free choice we make. We can easily feed somebody we don't like because they're hungry. We can even greet somebody we don't like. Or choose not to. It's within our control. So then, the lawyer, who wishes to defend himself, because we're told he came to our Lord with a bad mind, a false heart, intending to find some reason to accuse him of perhaps breaking the law of Moses or not being faithful to traditions or something. So he's now anxious to defend himself, to justify himself. Who is my neighbor? Is it just a person who lives next door? Is it a member of my own family or my particular race or my social class? Is it someone that I like? And the Lord answers it in those broader terms by speaking the parable. Now, our Lord is actually declaring himself to be our neighbor. He himself is our neighbor. He says a man was once on his way down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Who was the man who was on his way down? Well, Jerusalem is another, it can be symbolically regarded as paradise. And Jericho, which is related to the moon as this world, always changing. So who was the man? Adam, the father of our race. Adam, who was created in paradise. Adam, who was clothed with grace. Adam, who was God's friend. Adam, who spoke with God in the cool of the evening. Adam, who had been given the commandment, Thou shalt not eat of the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden. The day you eat of it, you will die the death. Adam, who disobeyed. And so in his disobedience, you can see Adam descending. And he fell into the hands of brigands. We don't need to regard the parable as a history. We need only to understand the symbols that are contained in it. So as he comes down, he is attacked, Adam is attacked by demons who stripped him of the grace God had given him, his original justice. They beat him and left him half dead because God had said, the day you eat of it, you will die the death. Adam ate. Did he die? He went and hid. Did he die? He clothed himself with fig leaves. Did he die? When God called him, he answered. Was he dead? When God asked him what he had done, he blamed God, he blamed the woman. 
He went on to have children. Did he die? God does not lie. Adam died. He died spiritually. His physical death would follow later as a consequence. But Adam died spiritually in his soul. And therefore we can say he was half dead. And so all of us who were born from Adam, we are half dead, dead spiritually. A priest comes along. What is the function of a priest? From the letter to the Hebrews, the purpose of a priest is to offer sacrifices. He is to go from men to God. Every high priest is chosen from among men to offer gifts and sacrifices to God on behalf of men. That's the only function of a priest, to offer sacrifice. And so the priest comes along. Could his sacrifices help the human race who had been wounded and left half dead? Could the sacrifices forgive sin, in other words? And the answer is no. Bull's blood and goat's blood cannot forgive sin. So there was no point in him stopping. He couldn't help. What about the Levite? The Levite's job is that to assist the priest. He was the one who carried the wood for the sacrifice. He was the one who prepared the animals for sacrifice. But he did not offer sacrifice himself. He was the one who instructed the people. And therefore, the Levite could be described as the one who proclaims the law of God. Can the law help us? Can the law save us? No, it cannot. St. Paul tells us that very clearly. All the law could do is point out where sin is. It cannot take it away, nor can it prevent us from committing sin. So the Levite, likewise, could not stop to help wounded Adam. The giving of the law to us does not help us to become holy. But when the Samaritan comes, things change. Who is the Samaritan? The Samaritans were the, a mixed race. After the Assyrian defeat of Israel, they brought in, the Syrians brought in foreigners to live in the land of Israel, and these foreigners married with the Israelites. And so they were a mixed race. The people in Judah despised them because they were not pure Israelites. They were not Jews. So the Samaritan is a person who is of a mixed race. Christ is the good Samaritan because he is God and he is man united in the unity in, of one person. One person having two natures. And so he comes. And when he saw the man, he was moved with compassion. We read also in the scriptures that God looked down on us with compassion and sent his son. And so what does he do? He bandaged his wounds. 
By his stripes, we have been healed, said the prophet. So Christ bandaged our wounds by the lashes he received. He poured oil and wine in them. Wine, which gives joy. Wine, which is the, the material used for sacrifice. So now the priests, the work of the priests is going to become effective. And the oil, representing the grace of the Holy Spirit, this will help us to keep the law. And so Christ heals us. We're still wounded, but at least he has bandaged our wounds, covered our nakedness, given us grace. And then what does he do? He lifted him and put him on his own mount, which is his body. So Christ has placed us in his mystical body. He is the vine, we are the branches. Is he content with this? No, he's not. He carried him to the inn, which is the church, and said to the innkeeper, and looked after him, which Christ certainly does. He looks after us in the church. The next day, he took out two denarii and handed them to the innkeeper. Who is the innkeeper? Well, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. So Peter is the innkeeper who has been given two coins to look after us. What are these two coins? Christ, who is God and man, is righteousness itself. He is also immortal because he's God. We who are descended from Adam, because of Adam's sin, we are unrighteous. And we are mortal because we are doomed to die. So with these two coins, the Good Samaritan is going to remedy our faults. And how? Because the two coins consist of, first of all, knowledge. And so he's given Peter the authority to teach those who hear you, hear me. He also said to Peter, look after my lambs, feed my sheep, which means to instruct to teach us how to keep the law. And the second coin is that which restores us to God's grace and gives us, confers on us immortality, which is in fact the sacraments, in particular the supreme sacrifice of the Mass. So now the Levite, the one who teaches, has the power of the Holy Spirit to teach. He will lead you to the whole truth, said our Lord, referring to the Holy Spirit. And he's given us the sacrifice by which our sins are taken away, the Mass with the sacraments. Look after him, he said, and on my way back, I will make good any extra expense you have. Because there are some of us who are very stubborn in sin, and we will take a little bit more for us to be made to be formed into the image of Christ, the Good Samaritan. So Christ is the Good Samaritan. He is our neighbor. He has come close to us. He has come so close to us that he has said, whatever you do to the least 
you have done to me. It can't, he can't come any closer than that. So however we treat others, it inevitably means this is the way we are treating Christ. So for example, Saul was persecuting the church, the body of Christ. Saul was arresting Christians, members of the church. Saul was persecuting Catholics. But from heaven, Christ called out, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? To touch a member of the church is to touch Christ himself. And so, in a, given this parable, our Lord has led us into an even deeper mystery of our relationship, not only with him, but indeed with each other. And when he asks the lawyer, which of these do you think prove himself a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of brigands? He had no choice but to say, the one who took pity on him. Because despite all of this, the lawyer refused to say the Samaritan. Because as far as he was concerned, the Samaritans are deserving of absolutely no respect. And so he preferred to use a circumlution. Go around it. The man who showed pity on him. Let us ask that we will be given the grace to see Christ Jesus in each and every person whom we meet and that we be ready and be willing to take pity on them in their necessities and to assist them to the best of our ability. Christ is the Good Shepherd, the Good Samaritan, the good physician, the healer of our souls. May he restore us to the dignity lost by our father Adam and may he conform us all into his own image and likeness. In the name of the Father, the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This MP3 recording has been made available by Family Life International. Help us to make many more available in order to promote our Catholic faith. Go to www.familyandlife.org.uk and donate today. Thank you.